Hi, I'm Carol from King City, California. I'm Amy from San Francisco. Hi, I'm Becky from Amherst. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Bye-bye. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of young America. Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun. In just a second, we'll have a private audience with the singer-songwriter Jonathan Colton. Jonathan has a brand new CD-DVD set called Best Concert Ever, which I'm told is properly pronounced Best Concert Ever. I did the best I could, okay? Here's a bit of one of that set's sillier songs, Ikea. Long ago in days of yore It all began with a god named Thor There were Vikings and boats and some plants For a furniture store it's not a bodega, it's not a mall They sell things for apartments smaller than mine As if there were apartments smaller than mine Ikea Just some oak and some pine and a handful of Norsemen Ikea Selling furniture for college kids and divorced men And everyone has a home but if you don't have a home, you can buy one there. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is a favorite guest here on the Sound of Young America, a singer-songwriter who, in his mid-30s, uh, quit his IT job to pursue his dream of becoming uh, a musician and uh, has succeeded to a really extraordinary extent, becoming the Internet's troubadour. Um, if you will, and I just did, um, uh, with uh, sweet, funny songs about uh, some very unusual topics. Uh, Jonathan Colton, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Welcome back to The Sound of Young America. Thank you. It's, it's nice to be back. It's always a pleasure to have you, sir. How long ago was it now that you quit your job? It was uh, the end of 2005. So this is 2009, so we're looking at four years? Four years. Good God. Wow. That's, yeah. How does, it, how does it feel to look back on it? What seems more or less important than it did at the time? It's more than anything else. It's just r remarkable to me. It still seems amazing and unlikely that this is happening uh, to me. And the fact that it has been happening for four years, I, had, I hadn't actually done that calculation. In my head, I would have said two years, but it's been four years that I've been making a living as a musician. And... Really, when I started, I I didn't expect that it was going to work out at all. So it's incredible to me that it seems to be a sustainable career. You were already into your 30s when you decided to do this plan. Um, had you had you had professional music dreams and then uh, abandoned them and picked them back up or, or, or something like that by that time? Yeah, I, it was really... I had always intended to become a musician, but I just never, I never really got around to it. You know, I went to college and then moved to New York City and, you know, I played in a couple of bands, but I wasn't, I wasn't really sure how to do it. 
and uh, it was it was hard. And you know, when you would when you would play when you when you play in your in your new band that you've just uh, gotten a couple of friends together to form, you know, your other friends come out and see you, but that's about it. It's very hard to get any traction, and it's very disheartening. So you know, push came to shove, and uh, I ended up getting this software job. Uh, it was sort of a friend of a friend had the software company, and I started out answering phones at the front desk and learning how to write code in my spare minutes there at the front desk. And before I knew it, I, I had been there for almost 10 years, and I was, I was, that was my career. And while I was still doing music on the side as sort of a hobby and, you know, in connection with my pal John Hodgman and, and his work, uh, yeah, I sort of lost, lost touch with the idea that that was going to be uh, a career for me. What made you think, again, that it could be? Uh, it was really, it was a number of things. You know, I, I had, I, as I say, I continued writing, uh, and I had, I had put out a, a CD just for fun, you know, because I could. I had, you know, some recording equipment at home and uh, manufactured a, a number of copies and uh, was selling it online uh, through a company called CD Baby. And, um, you know, I would occasionally get an email from a stranger, which was always very exciting. Uh, and I had just started doing some more stuff with John Hodgman, uh, and, which meant that I was playing in public in front of audiences again. And, you know, I was getting a positive response to the stuff that was out there. So that sort of gave me the idea that maybe something could happen if I worked worked a little harder at it instead of just doing it in my spare time when I wasn't at my job, you know. What was the impetus to actually do it, to go from... So I think the first time we met was was a, a right around that time, four or five years ago, and you were on tour with uh, uh, John Hodgman, the uh, a comic writer, and and on the Daily Show. Before he had had any success, the two of you were um, the two of you were doing a book reading in, in in San Francisco that had you know ten people at it or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and I, I, that includes myself and my wife and uh, the guy who was driving you around uh-huh, and the yeah. people who worked at the bookstore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, he. It's true. I, I was sort of right there uh, to see his rise to power, and it was a very inspiring thing because he quit his day job first. You know, he was you a, guys had been friends for since yeah, college, right? We've been like friends since pals. college, and we both had, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, background radiation dreams of fame and success, and instead had jobs. <laughs> you know, and he he had left his job a couple of years before I did to to become a freelance writer, and and uh, then he started doing this little gray book lectures, and so it was a very inspiring thing to see him do that and right around that time when you came to that san francisco reading and nobody was there he appeared on the daily show for the first time and that was you know that was sort of the the precipitous event that uh, made him into a famous person and so to watch that happen was very exciting and to be along for the ride uh you know i guess a little bit of that rubbed off on me and it felt like oh maybe i could do that too you know you did it just as you uh just as your wife was pregnant with your first baby wasn't it well it was after it was after she was born i well actually we probably had the conversation about it when she was still pregnant but um yeah that was that was a big part of the the impetus as well because it was um it was sort of a wake up call in terms of my own mortality <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if other people feel that way, but that was one of the one of the things I felt the most keenly is like, oh, wow, I get it. Now I'm a dad. My dad just became a grandfather, and my grandfather is dead. 
<laughs> so I see where this is going, you know. <laughs> Uh, and and on top of it, it, it was um, uh, I felt I felt a new pressure to be a good role model. And and for me, you know, I, I, I started looking at myself through my my daughter's eyes. And what would I what would I see if I were my daughter? And you know, the answer is I would see a guy who who had aspirations and who maybe had some talent and just never never took the chance and instead got bogged down. Uh, and and stuck behind the safety and comfort of of uh, a job that was not really what he wanted to do, and that that is not. I didn't want to look like that to her, and I did. I, you know, if I if I wanted her to be able to have the uh, ability to make the brave choice, and in order to do that, I needed to make the brave choice. Uh, so a lot of it, a lot of it came from that as well. You wrote this really uh, beautiful song about. Uh, your daughter called you ruined everything yeah um i wonder would you would you play it yeah i'd be happy to i was fine i pulled myself together just in time to throw myself away my perfect world was gone I knew you ruined everything in the nicest way you should know how great things were before you even so better still today now I can't think who I was before you ruined everything in the nicest way bumps in the road remind us the worst of the best behind us only good things will find us, me and you. Days will be clear and sunny, and we're gonna need more money. And baby, you know it's funny, all those stories coming true. Despite my better efforts, it's all for you. Worst kind of cliche I'll be with you till the day you leave You ruined everything in the nicest way It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the singer-songwriter Jonathan Colton, who's been a friend of the show for many years and kind enough to consent to uh, give us a little house concert, if you will. That song was You Ruined Everything. Thank you for that, Jonathan. You're welcome. Um, uh, I know one of my favorites of your songs is also a dad song. Um, it is a dad song of a very uh, different sort. That is this song, Shop Vac. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about uh, about the song and how you came to write it? 
Yeah, it's about uh, being trapped in suburbia and I guess being trapped in adulthood and responsibility. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was, I wrote the song. I, I was literally, I was, I was using a shop vac at the time. I was. <laughs> it was a Saturday morning, and uh, uh, the apartment building that I lived in at the time had a had a little roof deck. Uh, on the roof in Brooklyn and um, some plants up there. And, you know, I, I had borrowed my neighbor's shop vac and I was vacuuming up old leaves and sticks and dirt and things. And Saturday Saturday morning, beautiful sunny day, my wife and new daughter were downstairs. Uh, I didn't know what they were doing. And I was just sort of whistling to myself and completely happy. <laughs> and it was a bizarre moment. I was I said to myself, when did I become this guy? You know? <laughs> Because it's sort of that it's it almost has a quality of kind of uh, cardigan wearing television dad from 1962. Exactly, and and you know it it uh, I find I find it kind of loathsome, and yet <laughs> I find the comfort of it uh, unable. To, I can't I can't I can't stay away from it. There's I mean, also kind of an almost an angry undertone to that to that character. You know what I mean? The, almost a hostility to family. Yeah, the character the character in the song is. Yeah, he's definitely had enough. He's he's, a, he's really he's about to crack. And yeah, there's something about the the inanity of his of his surroundings and the things that he finds himself talking about that are just slowly driving him crazy. Well, do you want to play shop back? Yeah, let's do it. We took the freeway out of town. Found a place to settle down Got a driveway and a swing set and a dog You got your very own bathroom I got my very own workshop in the basement We sit around staring at the wall to wall Take field trips to our favorite mall Waiting for the day when all the kids grow up And leave us here if you need me I'll be downstairs with the shop vac You can call but I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop vac on But you'll be okay Cause you'll be upstairs with the TV You can cry and I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop vac on We hung a flag above the door Checked out the gourmet grocery store I got a mower I can ride around the yard But we haven't got real friends And now even the fake ones have stopped calling Maybe if you forget to hide the keys I'll take a ride to Applebee's Come home drunk on daiquiris And throw up on the neighbor's lawn If you need me, I'll be downstairs With the shop vac You can call, but I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop vac on But you'll be okay Cause you'll be upstairs with the TV You can cry and I probably won't hear you Cause it's loud with the shop back on I like the Starbucks here That's better than the other one Cause the other one's not as good They really need to put a light there Cause it's hard to turn It's hard to make a left turn 
When it's time to go to bed Still awake inside my head Floating up above the house and looking down I guess I gotta go back there I guess there never was any other answer And as the freeway hums, the cars go by The headlights roll across the sky Many miles away and I can see them speeding through the dark If you need me, I'll be downstairs with the shop vac You can call but I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop vac on But you'll be okay, cause you'll be upstairs with the TV You can cry and I probably won't hear you Because it's loud with the shop vac on Jonathan Colton performing Shop Vac. Um, he's got a brand new performance DVD called Best Concert Ever. Um, we're talking about dad stuff r- right now, but I introduced you as a, a man with uh, a lot of songs uh, on unusual topics. Um, uh, it seems like you really enjoy... Uh, it, it seems like you really enjoy getting engaging the emotional content of uh of a very odd perspective um i think w- w- you you have this great song called i crush everything um that is a really good example of that mm, yes that's that's about a giant squid who hates himself <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, there's something about uh, it's true I do it over and over again it's I'm not content to write songs about. Uh, myself. Uh, I mean, ultimately I do, you know, ultimately that's the, that's the joke is that what happens is you, you start writing about a self-loathing giant squid and ha ha, it's you, it's really you you're writing about. I think in, in some ways it's a trick that I have to plan myself to get myself to write in an honest way. But it's also, you know, I love, I love puzzles, uh, more than anything else. And so to, to say, okay, this is about a giant squid who hates himself means that I need to I need to then sort of unravel that and figure out how to make that work um, and it's just a much more interesting process uh, to write a song about that than it is to to start and write a song about myself that's that's funny to me because that's a real um, uh, uh, that's a real IT guy's approach to uh, writing a song isn't it it is I mean it's you sort of you sort of start with you start with the where you want to be. Like, here's here's what I want this song to do. Here's how I want it to work. Here's how I want the finished application to behave. <laughs> and then you have to figure out how to build it and make it happen. Well, well let's hear it. All right. I lie below. You float above. In the pretty white ships That I've been dreaming of And I'd like to swim beside you Getting dizzy in your wake Getting close enough to touch you Getting brave enough to take you into my arms And bring you down to be with me But I can't do that thing anymore can't be the thing I was before 
Maybe I am better off alone Because I crush everything And I crush everything And I crush everything Pretty nice arms But I hate my beak And the dolphins are all phonies They seem nice enough at first But they pretend to be your friend Until they see you at your worst And then they leave you Without a word They swim away So I can't do that thing anymore can't be the thing I was before Maybe I am better off alone Because I crush everything And I crush everything And I crush everything Everything I want, I take And everything I love, I break Every night I lie away Did the stars come out? Did the world spin round? Does it matter that much When you're ten miles down and in the light that filters down into my giant yellow eye I can see the sails unfolding stretching white against the sky and I forgive them I forgive and I let go I can't do that thing anymore I can't be the thing I was before Maybe I am better off alone Because I crush everything And I crush everything And I crush everything I lie below You float above In the pretty white ships That I am dreaming of Jonathan Colton on The Sound of Young America. We'll have more with Jonathan in just a minute when we come back. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is a proud sponsor of Sketchfest NYC, June 11th through 13th at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City. See the best sketch comedy from around the country, including Kevin McDonald of The Kids in the Hall, The Whitest Kids You Know, Elephant Larry, and much, much more. For more information, visit sketchfestnyc.com. 
Welcome back to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the singer-songwriter Jonathan Colton. Let's get back to my interview. You have a lot of songs about uh, geeky stuff. Um, and one of the things, uh, one of those songs is about a very unusual thing to be geeky about, mm. which is uh, author and raconteur George <laughs> Plimpton. Sure. You think that's unusual? I, I, I guess it is. You know, you're, you're, uh, uh, I've been to a few of your shows and, uh, and folks are, are just really so excited to hear your song about like a Mandelbrot set. Mandelbrot mm. set, one of your most popular songs is it's about true. Mandelbrot, the uh, mathematician. Yes. Um, and fractals. Yes. <laughs> and how great fractals are. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you got a, you got a lot of, uh, you you got a lot of material in that vein that people respond to very strongly. And then, um, uh, you bring out something that, that it's clear that you feel equally passionate about as the guy with the, uh, you know, t-shirt that lights up when there's Wi-Fi feels about (laughs) Mandelbrot. Um, you, you clearly feel the same way about George Plimpton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's true. In that in that sense, it's uh, it's like it's that song is for a different audience, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I I the genesis of this song was actually somebody suggested to me. Somebody pointed out to me that there was a uh, an organization. I cannot remember their name right now, but they were I think it's maybe Plimpton Plimpton.org or something. But they they were um, an organization dedicated to getting a statue of George Plimpton erected somewhere in Manhattan. Which I think is a a worthy goal, uh, and uh, they were holding a George Plimpton songwriting contest, and uh, you know how, how now can I this resist? wasn't now to be clear this wasn't a contest for George Plimpton to write a song no this was for songwriters to write songs about, about George, Plimpton. George Plimpton that's thank you for that <laughs> clarification yes um, and uh, you know I, I I saw it as a as a challenge but I also uh, am a fan of George Plimpton I have long admired. Uh, people like him who have uh, these kinds of careers where they just seem to do everything, you know, and he's a writer and he was an actor and, and he, I mean, especially since he was doing all this participatory journalism, he played on a pro football team. He boxed with actual boxers and, (laughs) you know, and uh, the punching kind, the punching kind. And uh, it's just he just experienced so much in his life. Um, and uh, it's just a very admirable uh, spirit, I think. Uh, and and at the time I was I was maybe about halfway through uh, thing a week, which is what I started doing when I first left the day job was to, to put a new song out there every Friday uh, for a year. And, and I was about halfway through and, you know, I was getting some positive response but i i was not really sure that it was going to work and um i was still sort of terrified that i had made a horrible horrible error (laughs) and um so in many ways uh you know this song it started out being just sort of a laundry list of stuff that george plimpton did (laughs) you know and in in many and that, that might be enough but um uh i sort of hated it until i realized that i was actually giving myself a pep talk um, and then it sort of shifted and it made sense. And that, that's, that's become one of my, one of my favorites from, uh, from that whole series of songs. It's called A Talk With George. You want to play it? Sure. There's a tall thin man standing in the shadows When he calls your name, his voice is strong and clear 
It's a dark and smoky place, so you can't quite see his face. He pulls you close and whispers in your ear. Then he tells you he was born into some money. But it didn't mean he had to sit around. And he knows a thing or two about the things that you should do. If you don't want to take life lying down. First of all, hang out a lot with Hemingway Spend some time fighting bulls in Spain You should go three rounds with Archie Moore and Sugar Ray It's so damn scary you won't mind the pain Be ringside at the rumble in the jungle Make friends with Hunter S. and Jackie O when they shoot poor Bobby down, you wrestle Sir Hand to the ground. Love your friends and miss them when they go. You should write a book or two and start a magazine. Even if it never makes a die. You should swing out by your feet above the circus ring. At the very least, throw parties all the time. Tide will never care. It's not so far from here to there. We just go. So enjoy yourself. Do the things that matter. Cause there isn't time and space to do it all. Love the things you try Drink a cocktail, wear a tie Show a little grace if you should fall Don't live another day unless you make it count There's someone else that you're supposed to be There's someone deep inside of you that still wants out Shame on you if you don't set it free Jonathan Colton on The Sound of Young America, a singer, songwriter, raconteur, has played a little bit of professional football, right? You literally followed in. No, I'm sorry. Maybe I wasn't clear. I didn't literally follow. That's a, sort of a metaphor. A what? Metaphor? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you got nothing. Yeah, I got sorry. nothing here. I don't know what you're talking I'm, about. I'm over your head. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you have this You have this new song that I don't know a, a lot about called Space Doggity. Yeah. Um, uh, I, now you, you mentioned to me, uh, uh, when we were talking before we went on the air that you, um, wrote this song about Laika the space dog, which was the, the, the Russian dog that was put into the first space capsule. That's right. Sputnik 2. Um, why, why write a, why write a song about this dog? Well, this, it's going to sound like all I do is songwriting contests. Uh huh. This is another songwriting contest that I was participating in. Well, I, I think it's, it's interesting because you mentioned you, you entered that other songwriting contest as part of this, 
challenge that you had you had put for yourself yeah. to write a song or record a song every week for a year. Yeah. Um, it seems like you like to to set yourself up to have to work. <laughs> I hate to think of it that way, but you're probably right. I mean, it's because it's, it's somehow sometimes it's the only way I can actually get work done is to <laughs> is to uh, have a challenge that I can't back down from. You a, know, a songwriting contest is also <clears throat> a, a puzzle to solve. Exactly, and and this one, they uh, they gave you a uh, uh, not a topic but a sort of direction. the 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 assignment here was to uh, write a song that was an homage to David Bowie's Space Oddity, um, and that was that was pretty much the only requirement. But um, I said, okay, uh, let's do let's do let's do the dog story, you know. Uh, and I was reading up about it, and because recently some news came out from the Russians that. Uh, uh, they uh, were actually not entirely truthful about uh, Laika's experience the first time around, uh, and in fact, she she did not live in the capsule for four days as planned. But she uh, she started having trouble pretty early on in the flight, and the cooling system failed, and um, and her heart rate went up, and it was a really bad trip uh, for a poor little dog who didn't know <laughs> what was going on, um, and. Uh, uh, you know, so I sort of reimagined that story um, uh, as if perhaps uh, she somehow gets the upper hand, figures out what's going on, and manages to uh, escape from the capsule. The cage is very small, a tiny silver ball that makes you a hero. The moment you step inside, the world is watching you. What you're about to do will live on forever, even though you'll be dead and gone. Buckle up, we're about to turn the engines on. Hello from Sputnik 2 I am receiving you Thanks for the dog food I'm somewhere above you now Guess what, Malashinkov I took the collar off I'm holding my own leash Walking myself outside This door I don't think I want to be a good dog anymore Now I'm floating free And the moon's with me And it's bright enough To light the dark And it's so high up here And the stars so clear Are they close enough? Will they hear me bark from here? Out of Sputnik 2 I think we're losing you Your life signs are fading We can't really say that we're 
surprised It's a shame There is always something that gets compromised Now I'm floating free And the moon's with me And it's bright enough To light the dark And it's so high up here And the stars so clear Are they close enough? Will they hear me bark from here? Singer-songwriter Jonathan Colton on The Sound of Young America. It was occurring to me, uh, you really have relatively, uh, for a funny singer-songwriter, you have very few joke songs. Um, you've got a, uh, a a really lovely, ironic cover of uh, Baby, Baby Got Back. Uh, I'd probably call it a joke song. you got a song about uh, Tom called Tom Cruise crazy about Tom Cruise being crazy on his own special in his own special way mm-hmm. kind of a joke song yeah but even your jokiest songs are are, are often not very jokey <laughs> yeah the uh, many people have pointed out including me that the, uh, the, the, the 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 best songs are the ones that you think are funny the first time you hear them and every time you listen to them they get sadder and sadder until they're so sad that you can't listen to them anymore Mm-hmm. That's that's I'm serious. I'm quite serious. That's my favorite thing. I mean that giant that giant squid song is uh, that's a pretty sad song. But you know it's funny to watch audiences respond to it because um, you know it sounds ridiculous when I set it up. This is about a giant squid who hates himself. Ha ha ha. You know. And then I play it, and there are a couple of jokes in there about the dolphins being sort of smug and having phony smiles, and um, and and they they laugh. And you, I can always tell how new an audience is by how much they laugh at that song because the audiences that are mostly people who have seen me many times it's it's dead quiet throughout that song but audiences that are just hearing it for the first time they laugh and i i love i love that kind of audience sucker punch that happens about halfway through that song when they realize i'm not joking one of my all-time favorites of your songs is a song called skull crusher mountain um that is uh written from the perspective of uh of an Evil genius slash supervillain. Um, tell me why you chose to write from that perspective. Well, um, you know, I found <laughs> it's it's an, yet another example of a a a, a monstrous personality uh, who feels as though he is misunderstood. And this is one of my favorite uh, topics. I, I love the. I love the unreliable narrator, but the the slight twist where the narrator is horrible and doesn't get what the problem is. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I think we're all like that. Ultimately, we're all hurting people without knowing it, you know, (laughs) and uh, and what we often what we're doing seems totally reasonable in our own heads. And to someone else with a different perspective, uh, we we uh, we look like monsters. It's not surprising because you know, sort of like comic book narratives and so on, are are often the sort of the the two sides of uh, of geekiness, right? It's like it's like somebody who it's like Spider Man. Spider Man science experiments turn him into this, you know, uh, super powerful creature or, or whatever. And the the supervillain has the problem of having the best of intentions, but not really understanding how things work 
socially. You know, he yeah. has that he has that yeah. sort of like um, geeky thirteen year old boy problem of of not necessarily understanding exactly what the effects of his actions in in his social context are going to be. Yeah, and it's true. And and all you know, I feel like in in comic books, the villain is almost always bent on some kind of revenge, whether it's against a specific nemesis or just a sort of general mistreatment from from peers and society in general you know so yeah and i think that's you know ultimately it's very sad for both superheroes and supervillains with with being super comes terrible sadness yeah <laughs> tell me about it yeah you know what i mean <laughs> it's horrible for me uh well, well let's hear it jonathan colton with skull crusher mountain Welcome to my secret lair on Skullcrusher Mountain I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far I see you've met my assistant Scarface His appearance is quite disturbing But I assure you he's harmless enough He's a sweetheart, calls me master And he has a way of finding pretty things And bringing them to me But I'm way too smart for you Even my henchmen think I'm crazy I'm not surprised that you agree If you could find some way To be a little bit less afraid of me You'd see the voices that control me From inside my head Say I shouldn't kill you I made this half-pony, half-monkey monster to please you But I get the feeling that you don't like it What's with all the screaming? You like monkeys, you like ponies Maybe you don't like monsters so much Maybe I use too many monkeys Isn't it enough to know that I ruined a pony Making a gift for you I'm way too smart for you Even my henchmen think I'm crazy I'm not surprised that you agree If you could find some way To be a little bit less afraid of me You'd see the voices that control me From inside my head Say I shouldn't kill you Picture the two of us alone inside my golden submarine While up above the waves my doomsday squad ignites the atmosphere And all the fools who lead their foolish lives may find it quite explosive Well it won't mean half as much to me if I don't have you here you know it isn't easy living here on Skullcrusher Mountain 
So maybe you could cut me just a little slack Would it kill you to be civil? I've been patient, I've been gracious And this mountain is covered with wolves Hear them howling, my hungry children Maybe you should stay and have another drink And think about me and you Cause I'm so into you But I'm way too smart for you Even my henchmen think I'm crazy I'm not surprised that you agree If you could find some way To be a little bit less afraid of me You'd see the voices that control me From inside my head Say I shouldn't kill you I shouldn't kill you yet I shouldn't kill you yet Jonathan Colton on The Sound of Young America. Um, you know, I, I, we were talking before you went on the air about your new concert DVD. It's um, the first time you've had... Uh, actual distribution that you've sold your uh musical product the way musical product had been sold for the previous you know 75 years yes um you know in in stores like music stores or best buys or or whatever not to mention this is an old-fashioned high production value product this is not just you know somebody's flip camera and then you put it up on youtube this is serious business yeah this is this is no joke it's it's really interesting to me because um You've built this community of of fans and have built a living out of having that, like a a good living out of having that community of fans at this point. What did you think about the idea of extending yourself beyond that, outside of that? Well, it was it was important to me to get a live version of some of this music out there because there's there's quite a bit of difference between the live performances of the songs and the, and the studio recordings. Because when I do studio recordings, I do full arrangements and I play all the different instruments and it's a sort of a full band thing. But when I tour, I can't, I can't afford to do it with a full band either in terms of time or money. So um, it's just an acoustic situation. And it's, it's a much more, the songs change, a lot of them get a lot more intimate. And on top of that, that community of fans uh, means that the experience of me being on stage and the fans being in the audience uh, creates this thing, this story, this event that happens in the hall. And it's, and it's not just, this is why people will always go to live music, uh, is that the experience of seeing the artist there performing the stuff is a completely different thing. Something happens there. And you, there is a real conversation that happens between the audience and the artist. Um, and, you know, just the energy pulling back and forth and and people shouting out jokes and me making mistakes and everybody getting really excited when I make mistakes it's the whole thing is like I don't know it's it's just a it's a very exciting thing to do and I forget until the moment I step out on stage and then I remember um so you know I I really wanted to capture that and um you know doing it through a distribution company is sort of an experiment for me to to see what it's like in the old-fashioned universe of uh, putting CDs in stores. They still have stores, I think, where people come and buy things, you know, and I've never had a presence there. And I'm, I'm curious to see 
what happens and and if if there's anything for me there or if it's if I really am just uh just an internet superstar you know <laughs> you you've built this really amazing world i mean it's just really remarkable um and uh and you can see the kind of the emotional resonance that your music has for the people in in the crowd at your show you know when you go to your show it's it's really amazing do you do you ever worry that it's um that it's limiting to you to be living in this in this world that you've created do you ever worry do you ever worry that you're missing out by not you know um i don't know whatever it is opening for john mayer or something like that <laughs> uh yeah of course i mean it's um I hope that all I, I, I suspect that all artists feel this way. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm the only loser. But <laughs> every time I see some other musician, uh, I think, oh, oh, that that person is actually a professional musician, unlike me, you know. And and I, I I've come to know a few actual working musicians who are considered actual famous people, you know. And it's always fascinating talking to them because. Um, I find that we're we're all sort of we all sort of think we're not very good at guitar, <laughs> you know, and we all and we all sort of think that there's we all imagine that there's something else that we're supposed to be doing, some other kind of musician that we're supposed to be that we are not getting to somehow. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I uh, on on the one hand, I'm incredibly grateful to be making a living making music. Bottom line, this is just you can't I can't imagine anything better. Um, and uh on the other hand uh sure i do i do kind of i do kind of feel like oh now here i am trapped by my success i'm putting i'm putting quotes now around all this now you're you know? never going to tour with the top right <laughs> exactly i you know i probably will never have a gold record um i gold records are maybe a phenomenon of the past anyway you know so it's yeah it's definitely a weird thing having having come up through the internet uh, to realize that there's this, there's still this big world uh, out there that is not the internet that I'm not really much of a part of. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely something I think about. Speaking of John Mayer, have you ever considered possibly uh, starting an electric blues band and or a stand-up comedy career? <laughs> I don't have the chops for either one of those. Things. What about dating Jessica Simpson? Have you ever considered that? I have considered it. She will not return my phone calls disappointing i know um well it's it's so great to have you i feel like we should have a grand finale and um uh your tour mates of these past several years are uh uh the uh charming and delightful um uh funny music duo storm and uh, paul and storm that's right um they happen to be sitting in my living room at the moment shall we invite them in and have you join them on one last song i think we should do that that would be fun so what's this last song we're going to hear, Jonathan? Uh, this is called Always the Moon, uh, and this is a, uh, a breakup song. Uh, and the, the story of the breakup is sort of alluded to through uh, creation myths and uh, metaphors. We were talking about the word metaphor. This is an example of that. A metaphor is like um, if you say, here's an apple, and then you hand me an apple. No, that's... That's just me handing you an apple. A metaphor is like if I say, this apple is my soul. Here, Jesse Thorne, eat it. Can I have an apple? No. Okay, why don't you just sing the song? I'll just sing the song. 
Before there ever was a you and me The endless void of a dark black sea And a giant oyster The mother of all things And the oyster made a pearl And the pearl became the world And the world began to turn And the sun began to burn And one day I met you and I fell in love And you broke my tender heart And so here we are But there was always a moon There was always the moon There was always the moon There was always the moon Slender branch of a gentle tree And a big red fruit That hung low to the ground And you picked it out of spine And you took a careless bite And the world was not the same And we all know who to blame So now when you think of me Do you think of when there was still a chance But it's over so here we are But there was always the moon 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 such a thing as gravity and the tide came in and the tide went out again but the water got too high and the sun began to die and I tried to make you stay but the world pulled you away and now there are darker longer colder and the sun has gone for good And so here we are But there is always the moon 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 Jonathan Colton performing Always the Moon with able accompaniment from Paul and Storm. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much uh, for coming back on the Sandy Young America. It's always so great to have you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me here. Paul and Storm, thank you so much for uh, providing those uh, lovely harmonic vocals. Thank you. Um, Jonathan Colton's brand new live concert DVD is called Best Concert Ever. That's best, period, concert, period, ever. Period. He's online at jonathancolton.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. Our editor is Nick White. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can always email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time, right here on The Sound of Young America.